0: Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our equip ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Father God, thank you for uh, your help and uh, your love for us and your care for us. Thank you for those uh, requests that have been shared and updated in the Caring Post. And we just ask for your uh, guidance and uh, provision in those areas. And uh, we trust you to do your good work in our lives and the lives of those around us. And I just pray that you'd help us to trust you. Thank you for uh, the book of Colossians and the encouragement it's been to remember who the person of Jesus Christ is and who we are as a people who have been united to him. And we just ask that you'd help us to continue to set our minds on him and uh, to walk through life trusting him and uh, following him as we make decisions. And so we ask for your help tonight as we uh, study part of chapter 4 and just pray that you would be glorified through our time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, does everybody have a handout and caring post who needs one? If you need one. Uh, so, the background of Colossians, we've worked through this each week. So, again, the occasion was uh, Paul had heard news of how the church was doing and some of the false teachings that were creeping into the church and was seeking to uh, correct some of those things. Uh, people were uh, being tempted away to experience God in their own way or seek God's blessing in their own way. So mysticism and legalism. And Paul's encouragement was to continue with uh, Christ as they had begun with him. And so our theme verses came from Colossians 2, 9 through 10 that speak about how we uh, we have everything we need in Jesus. Through our union with him, we can walk through life uh, with our eyes set on him. So in that verse it says, for in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. So life, uh, other teachers, they'll, they'll lead you off the path of trusting Christ and coming to God through Him. And we need to remember to keep coming back and setting our eyes on Christ. So the theme of our class flows out of that, that we need to live our life in our supreme and sufficient Savior. Uh, So we divided the book into two uh, parts. The first part, thinking mostly about uh, who we are in Christ, our position in Him, who God is, so what we are to think about as believers, and that ended with us setting our mind on things above, not on things of earth. And then the last few weeks, we've been thinking about the preeminence of Christ and Christian living. So now that we are thinking correctly about who God is, and we're thinking about Him And not serving ourselves, uh, we can now live in relationship in the church and then also in our homes and in the workplace. So last week, we didn't quite make it through uh, the rest of the part about uh, the servants and the masters. But the main point of that was that Jesus is the heavenly master and we're all servants of him. And everything we do in life, we're to do for our master Um, out of gratitude to him for what he's done. Uh, So tonight, we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And I wanted to tell you a little story, uh, kind of how my perspective has changed as I've gotten older. So in Grimes, every spring, I think it is, or summer, I can't remember exactly when it is, they have the Governor's Days. Has anyone ever heard of the Grimes Governor's Days? So I don't know the full story of how they started or whatever, but they basically have uh, like a mini fair or carnival uh, over by the sports complex. Um, So that's just, is that west of here? North of here? Northwest? Northeast. Just northeast of here. Northwest. Perfect. I know which way it is. (laughs) I'll just keep saying all of them until someone gives me the right answer. Uh, And it's super fun. And as a part of that, they have a parade where there's a bunch of floats that go around. So it's mostly people and vehicles, uh, small businesses, and then like the sheriff's office has one, the fire department has one, and it's usually it usually takes them like an hour and a half for everybody to go past, and they just do it down Main Street. As a kid, I remember going to parades and just being like, awesome, and they're throwing you candy, and you get all this free stuff, and there's people dressed up, and, you know, it's just like this happy, sunny day. But as a parent, it's like about to rain. I'm trying to keep my kids from getting run over as they run out to grab candy in the road. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to keep them from, like, running away, uh, (laughs) or, you know, whatever, just getting lost in the crowd. And so parades are really fun as a kid, but once you're like responsible for people, it just kind of changes your perspective about stuff. So I've just been reflecting on that, how especially from childhood to adulthood, how your perspective changes on so much. And uh, yeah, I just see it a lot with like my kids just enjoying everything, but I'm like, you're going to die, don't do that. You know, they're just having a blast. So it's fun, but... They almost give me a heart attack all the time. Uh, but yeah, I think in uh, a similar thing can happen in our Christian life, where as we mature in our Christian life, our perspective changes about things. Uh, so an example would be, if I were in prison right now, I would send you... Uh, a message or a letter, however they let me communicate, saying, pray that I would be released from prison. <laughs> so that's just like a normal thing. It's like, I don't want to be in prison. You know, Pray for me to be, be released from prison. So Paul is in prison and he asks for a different prayer request. He's going to mention how he's in chains in these verses, but instead of saying, could you pray that they take off my chains and let me out through the open doors, he says, pray that I have open doors to share the word, to share the gospel while I'm in chains. So it's just like a completely different perspective on life. And I think that happens as we mature and grow in our walk with the Lord is uh, you know the things that, that maybe used to concern us or maybe used to be uh, fun or pleasurable or the things we'd seek after begin to change to be the things that God wants and the things God uh, prioritizes. So in these verses, Paul's going to ask that they pray earnestly for him that he would have open doors for the gospel. That's his primary concern, writing to a body of believers. And Paul believes in the power of prayer. And he could say, would you please pray that I could be released from prison? It wouldn't be a bad prayer. So that I can go and plant more churches or reach more people for Christ, but he, he trusts that God has him here, and even in the midst of it, he sees his priority as needing to go and share the gospel, not get out of prison. So as we've worked through these chapters, uh, chapter 3, the beginning of it, really pointed to how we're to live the Christian life. What our minds are to be doing. Our minds are to be set on things above where Christ is seated. And so as we get into these verses, we see as we more and more think about Jesus and less about ourselves and think about who God is, more and more, I think what we prioritize will change and therefore what we pray for will change and what we ask for prayer will change. And again, it's not bad to pray for other things, but... What does Paul call on them to pray for in these verses? What does he prioritize in his ministry? So I think the main point of the text that Paul's encouraging them for is, yes, to pray for Him, but he, the second part starting in verse 5 is that he wants them to be able to show the world what Jesus is like. He wants them to walk in wisdom. And so it's this progression that he shows here that when we're, when we're thinking about the Lord, when we set our mind on Him, We've set our life to seek after Him, to seek after the things above. Then uh, these relationship issues uh, will come together. Uh, Our conflicts with other people uh, will still hurt, but it'll be less personal because we're trusting the Lord with it and we don't have to die on every hill uh, in our relationships. And then here, as we think about what priorities do we have in life, uh, we seek to share the gospel as God provides open doors. So as we read through this, I think we'll just read it all to start with because it's only a couple verses. Uh, Just listen to uh, the strong language he uses and what he's prioritizing uh, as he asks for prayer. So uh, Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So again, you know, Paul's coming to the end here, and he's... He's asking for prayer for gospel opportunities and not necessarily his own physical release from prison. So we want to show the world what Jesus is like, and Paul kind of outlines three ways of how we can do that in these verses. So I'll just give you all of them. So in verses 2 through 4, he invites the Colossian believers to pray. And so his prayer request is that they would, or his request to them is that they would continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So he uses repetition there of similar ideas with earnestly and vigilant. I think those are two words that would be rare to describe our personal prayer lives. Uh, It's, Hard to be earnest and vigilant in our personal prayer lives. Uh, It's easy to doubt the power of prayer. Uh, It's easy to think that I could go and do something that would make a visible difference, and even good things—disciple others, share the gospel with others. Uh, But Paul and you know the Bible obviously uh, encourages us to bring our requests to the Lord because He's the one that works. You know We can go out and do a lot of things that look productive, look like it's producing fruit, but if we're just doing stuff, uh, it's not of any worth. It's when God works that something lasts and is eternal and is real change. So we want to entreat the Lord to work and to provide opportunities. So he kind of breaks it up here. He wants them to pray and uh, to do it vigil- vigilantly, And with thanksgiving. So he kind of gives the attitude there of thanksgiving. And then he adds, meanwhile, in verse three. So there's just this like general call to pray and to keep praying. And then in verse three, he asks for them to pray specifically for him and the others that he's with. So in verse three he says, Meanwhile, pray also for us. And this is his specific personal request that God would open to us a door for the Word, to speak the mystery of Christ. So to speak the mystery of Christ is describing the Word, and so I think it's talking about the Gospel here, the mystery that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. So the idea of mystery um, is basically that it's unknown to people. uh, So it's something that uh, was hidden and then revealed. And so he's asking for opportunities. That's what the open door is, uh, to share the gospel with others. And he then explains that he's actually in prison because he's been sharing the gospel. That's the reason why uh, he's been taken to prison and left in chains. And remember that he's, uh, when he writes this, he's most likely in the city of Rome, awaiting to appear before Caesar, uh, kind of post- the book of Acts, or, or somewhere near the end. And then in verse 4, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So he's asking uh, kind of for courage there. He, he realizes that the, the right thing for him to do is to speak it to others. And he's asking that they would pray, that he would make it manifest, make it evident, make it clearly understandable. Uh, as he should speak it. And yeah, I just think that's a super helpful way to pray about evangelism. I think we often uh, think in terms of, you know, Lord, would you please save this individual? But instead, or, or on top of that, we can also pray, Lord, would you provide us with opportunities, with open doors to, to share about Christ with others? And please, Help me to be clear. Help me to make it manifest, as as Paul says it here. Let it be evident uh, what the gospel is. And then help me to do it. I ought to speak this. (laughs) And we all know that. We all know that we should do it. And that's the right thing to do, but doing it is often hard in the moment. And so I think this takes a lot of the pressure off of us because... Paul recognizes that his responsibility is not to make open doors. Um, his responsibility is to speak the gospel, to make the gospel message evident, and not to save anybody or or to you know make up opportunities, uh, but to seek the Lord's guidance in having open doors. So I think this is a great prayer request that we can pray for each other and. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of the a good verse that if you pray scripture for other people in the church or your family or different things like that, this would be one to kind of highlight for that. Uh, any thoughts on verses two through four?
1: Mm-hmm. about regular Baptist being contextual and the mystery of Christ was that everyone knew about his death, but I think many wondered, what's the big deal? Sure. People die everywhere. Mm-hmm. But it was the rest of the story. Sure. And so there was a curiosity. Mm-hmm. I think that's a key phrase that we can read over and not grasp. Yeah, that's in really good. contextual setting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah? I, I like Carrie.
1: the. I think the pastor passed, uh, pointed it out because I only heard it here seasoned with salt. Uh, like your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. but mm-hmm. um, You may know how you ought to answer. And I've always heard seasoned with salt like as bitter. Like, and, mm. I don't know. It's. Taste good with salt. Right. It doesn't say doused with salt.
0: (laughs) It's dipped in salt. Right. Yeah. That's really good. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to wait 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, I've gotten used to the awkward silence, so. It was funny in our growth group Sunday night. I, I think I let it go for like 45 seconds, and Carissa was next to me, and she's like, it's getting awkward, and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I just don't notice it anymore, so. You feel free to like, you know, small, wave me on, like, yep, I think we're done with that one. Okay, uh, <laughs> verse five. So, Paul gives him another command here of how we can show the world what Jesus is like. Uh, It's to walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Uh, So, you know, we would all say uh, that wisdom comes from God, God is wise, God is all wise. And we even learned in previous chapters how we're going to be seeking wisdom in the Lord. Uh, So back in chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So Paul's already mentioned that he's been praying for them, that they would have wisdom. And now he's telling them to walk in wisdom, specifically towards those who are outside. So I think he's speaking of inside and outside of the church. So he's talking about your testimony to the world, uh, what you're like, uh, or what what unbelievers think of you. So what this isn't talking about is um, like a fear of man where we need to be concerned about, you know, they think that I believe in Jesus, and they think I'm weird, and it's not talking about that type of thing. It's talking about uh, living in the world in such a way that it's evident that our hope is in the Lord, that that we're following His wisdom, and like Paul prayed before, that we've been filled uh, with wisdom and spiritual understanding in the knowledge of Christ. So I think it's talking about showing the world that we trust Christ and we think about Him as it talks about in chapter 3, as we walk through the world. And uh, he specifically mentions it here because I think he's speaking of evangelism, as we would call it. And then he mentions uh, the last part of verse 5, redeeming the time. So we understand the idea of redeem. uh, The idea of time here, it's not like time, like a clock time. Uh, that's a different word. Uh, this is talking about time in the sense of like seasons or opportunities. It could be translated as either one of those. So it's not the usual word that's used for like the time of day. It's talking more in broad scope of sections of time or opportunities that may come. So we could think about it in a number of ways. I'm not sure which one uh Paul means here, but it's probably easy to read it, easiest to read it as redeeming the opportunity or the opportunities that come. Or you could think about it. uh, I've heard people interpret it as redeeming the different seasons of life. So it's the same idea that different opportunities come with different seasons of life. Uh, But the idea is that when opportunities arise, Uh, use them for the Lord. Uh, Capitalize on it, leverage it, uh, not to make ourselves look better, to get what we want out of the relationship or situation, but to redeem that opportunity uh, for the sake of Christ and the gospel. So in the context, he's specifically talking about our relationship with people who are unbelievers, who are outside the church. And so using the opportunities that arise Uh, from those relationships uh, with wisdom uh, to redeem those for the Lord. So I don't think it's talking about like, oh man, another minute has passed into eternity and I wasted it thinking about myself. Uh, It's not talking about that kind of redeeming the time of like, don't waste time. It's talking more about use uh, the opportunities you have in life with unbelievers for the Lord. Uh, And then, yeah, we'll go ahead and do verse 6. This is the third way. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So we summarized it as speak with grace. And the idea of grace is really helpful because I think grace comes from God and we show others grace or speak with grace as we've been shown grace by God. So it's after we've uh, set our mind on Christ that we're then able to have speech that uh, is gracious. And then, yeah, the idea of seasoned with salt, it's not talking about, you know, you think about drinking like salt water or something like that. It's not a a gross thing. It's something that is uh, savory or enhances the taste. Uh, So the idea could be tasty. We could say that. So let your words you speak be tasty not something that you know, someone would take a bite of and spit out because it's uh, gross or something like that. Uh, and then the last part there, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So this doesn't mean uh, that we need to have all the answers. That's not what he's talking about here. It's more along the lines of responding in life in a Christ-like way uh, as you ought to answer as a child of God, is kind of the idea here. So, our speech should always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that we may know how you ought to answer each one. So, as those opportunities come, even if we don't have the answer, if it's a gospel opportunity, and, you know, they have a random question. So, we had uh, a gentleman working on redoing the bathroom in the back, and I asked him about his relationship with Christ, and he brought up how he how could the Bible be true? Where's the dinosaurs? And it was just like, what? Like, who would expect a, a gospel conversation to go to dinosaurs? <laughs> it was just like the most random thing ever. And I think I've, I've shared this before in a, in a class on Wednesdays. But it was, I did have the answer, which was like the funniest thing ever, uh, because who just has where dinosaurs are in the Bible on the top of their head. But I had just written like the parent take-home sheet for the kids that Wednesday night, and they were talking about dinosaurs. And I was like, yeah, Job. And I, like, I knew like the chapters and verses. I'm like, it talks about the dinosaurs right there. And like, I even told them like what type of dinosaur they think it is and stuff like that. And so that was the Lord's timing and all of that. But even when we don't have the answer, it's not... Uh, something scary, it's something that we can say, I would love to find that answer with you or to find someone that has the answer and uh, seek to get them answers as we're able. And uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing what uh, our speech, what a testimony that can be for the gospel. Uh, it doesn't take long, even being around nice people for stuff to come out about other people behind their back uh, or all sorts of things. And so Christ really does change our hearts and our words come from our hearts. And so when we're we're trusting in Christ, thinking on him, walking with him, uh, the the abundance of our hearts as it comes out our mouth will be gracious. It'll be from uh, an abundance overflowing of thinking on Christ. Uh, And that's one evidence that we're not walking with Christ uh, is when our speech is not gracious. (laughs) It is uh, my thoughts are not on Christ. I have been meditating on myself and what I want and how to care for myself when I should be thinking about Christ and others. Uh, Yeah, so my encouragement for us would be to, to pray for opportunities. It's uh, it's easy to kind of lose track of evangelism, um, but I think that's a natural outflowing of a life that's seeking after Christ and having our mindset set on Him is that it'll just, it'll happen. The Lord will provide open doors and it'll just bubble out of us and we'll just be like, this is who Christ is and what He's done for us. And uh, I would love to talk more with you about it or answer any questions you have. Uh, besides, any thoughts with uh, those verses that we studied? Well, I'm tempted to just stop so we can pray, but I have one last thing to talk about. You got something, Del? I was going to tell you one, sorry. Yeah?
1: Why is first i was saved when i was 10. Mm -hmm. but i didn't really grow for some time contextually that's not the story but i remember when i began to grow spiritually and we were in a church where we went out on visitation and we were told now if you can't get them saved in five minutes go to the next house Hmm. and it was not a relationship issue at all it was more like putting a notch on your belt because you'd convince somebody it's a relationship, it's developing. Right. Um, showing compassion and grace.
0: Right, right. And usually and that takes confused. place over time.
1: Yeah, and we get confused about what um, our role is and what we need to do oftentimes.
0: Mm hmm. That's really good. Yeah, you think about Paul sitting there in chains, and I don't know, I, I just think of him as like scheming, like, Alright, when are they gonna change the guard? Like, <laughs> like I, I'm excited to share the gospel with another guy and I don't know, it's just he, you're stuck with Paul for however long. That had to be an experience.
1: Well you made that point earlier about him not praying to get out of the chains. Yeah. I said, Well he did get out of chains before, but right. this time he realized probably his greatest audience was in chains.
0: Yeah, before. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Captive audience. That's awesome. Well, next week we'll finish Colossians and there'll be a little bit more material to cover next week. So I wanted to talk about something uh, that is correlated to this. So if you turn to Revelation chapter 1. Uh, yeah. So in Revelation, well, well, the book of Revelation is written to churches in Asia, and it lists seven specific churches, and it's interesting that it doesn't list uh, Colossae. The Colossian church is not mentioned, so like Ephesus is there and Laodicea. Um, So Laodicea is mentioned in Colossians as uh, make sure that you read their letter and have this letter read with them, and so there's kind of a question of why, why isn't Uh, Colossae mentioned in Revelation. Well, the message of Revelation is uh, throughout the book, it kind of gives a broad scope of like whoever is listening to this, listen, even though I'm talking to this specific church in this section. So only chapters 2 and 3 are written to specific churches. Um, So... This, I, I can't remember exactly when Revelation was written. Maybe somebody would remember that right off the top of their head. But it's like 30 or so years, I can't remember exactly, after Colossians was written. 90s. In the 90s. When was Colossians written? Was it in 60 something? So yeah, it's about 30 years later. And um, so this is your last thing here. That's your blank, Revelation. So. There's this really cool picture given in chapter 1 uh, that I want to read through. And then we might look at some of the, the other church's messages. So this is 30 years after Colossians was written. So they've been instructed to kind of change their thinking about things and live for Christ in Colossians. And then 30 years is a long time in the life of a church. A lot can happen. Uh, people move on and, and things like that. But uh, it's just a helpful perspective of who we are in the church and Christ's uh, location to us in the church. So let's look at chapter 1, and let's jump down to verse 4 in Revelation. So, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the king, over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And then we have the words of Jesus. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So uh, we're kind of getting a glimpse um, of what John is seeing. And I can't remember if he says that at this part, but he's having a vision of, of heaven and seeing uh, what's taking place uh, with Jesus and the situation around him. So he's going to describe seven lampstands, which are the churches in Asia. And he's going to describe uh, seven stars or angels is what the New King James calls them. And that word just means messengers. Messengers. So uh, there's a question of, is it actually like what we would think of as angels or is it uh, like the, the pastor of the church? So I tend to lean toward it being the pastor of the church. Uh, but look at how the Lord is in relation to the churches. So in verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he's in exile for, his, uh, for following Christ. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things down which you have seen, and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So we get this glimpse into heaven of uh, Jesus walking amongst the lampstands, which represent the churches. And so I think this gives us uh, the sense of Jesus' interaction with the church that he's very near, he's attentive, he's uh, judging what's going on uh, within the church and being uh, watching over us is essentially what it is. So then, uh, the descriptions are kind of crazy and I don't fully know what to make of all of that. Uh, I think lots of them are figurative to describe the fierceness of his appearance. Um, so. It's meant to help us fear the Lord, to have a healthy respect of Him as the the head of the church um, as we seek to live life in the church. So now he's going to write to each of the seven churches. And when he writes to each of them, he mentions something he knows very intimately about them in each one. So there's very much a sense of he knows uh, what's going on in the churches Uh, He either commendates them or rebukes them and then gives them a promise at the end. And then at the end of each one of them, I believe, he says, he gives like an open call to whoever is listening to this. Listen to what he's saying to the churches. Uh, So as we, uh, the first one is the church of Ephesus. And in this one, it talks about how they've left their first love. And they need to repent. And I think the idea is, is that like the Colossian church, they, they're they being tempted or, or already have turned away from trusting Christ as supreme, as the master, the, the head of the church. they they turned aside. And the call is to repent and do the first works and to return to their first love. And what's at stake... Um, I think it's verse 5, is that Jesus will come and remove their lampstand. So it says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So I think there's this idea for churches that Christ is walking amongst the lampstands that are lit and when a church stops following the Lord, Christ is perfectly uh, right to come and remove His blessing or His Spirit, or whatever that represents, from the church. And that church ceases to be a uh, uh, Christ-blessed church. So, uh, I think this is the only one that, that mentions the removing of the lampstand, but. I just want to kind of visualize that picture in our mind of the fierceness of Jesus walking in the throne room of God and the representations of the churches are there and Christ is intimately watching and knowing what's going on in the life of those churches. And he even sends personal letters to them uh, to encourage them or rebuke them uh, as they go about. So, That's the main thing I want to look at, is that I'm sure Revelation was circulated in uh, Colossae. Laodicea was only 12 miles away from Colossae, and uh, Revelation was uh, probably meant to go to all the churches, not just those churches. It's just the churches that are mentioned had something noteworthy enough that Christ wanted to address directly uh, where the others could learn as having ears, they could hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, So yeah, when the book of Revelation was written, it was probably sent with a courier, and it probably went through that cycle. So the first guy went to Ephesus, or the, the messenger did, and delivered it to probably the pastor. He probably made a copy of it, read it to the church, and then after he made a copy, the messenger would go to the next church, make a copy, go to the next church, make a copy, And they would each read it in their churches. So I'm sure it it made it to the Colossae church. So it's kind of fun to think about uh, the church down the road in Colossae, uh, remembering to love the Lord and follow him. So in Colossians, it talks about a letter to Laodicea that we don't have. Uh, But we do have the Revelation letter to the Laodiceans. So we should read that one because it's kind of fun. So in chapter 3, it's verses 14 through 22. So these are the neighbors of Colossae. And it was pointed out in a commentary that these churches were probably also chosen, these cities, because they were like postal hubs or main networks where it would go there and kind of hit the surrounding towns. So Hierapolis was also close uh, to Laodicea as well. So in chapter 3, verse 14, uh, this is Jesus speaking. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined and fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see." As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we're not going to get into all of that, uh, but the idea is that they've lost sight of following Christ. They become distracted by uh, things and they, they're blind to it. They think they're okay. They think that they're, they're, they're living the Christian life and doing everything that Christ has asked them to do, but they don't see uh, their blindness and their nakedness. They're uh, blind to what they're not doing. And so. The beautiful thing about verse 19 is that God loves them, Christ loves them, and as many as he loves, he rebukes and chastens or disciplines. Uh, So he's correcting them lovingly here uh, so that they will no longer be ignorant of what they're not doing. And that's a good reminder of us, the the last part there. Uh, Be zealous and repent. So, yeah, we want to be... Quick to be doing the things that the Lord wants us to do, and when He shows us where we're not, we want to be quick to turn back to Him and trust Him um, in repentance as well. So, those are a few uh, fun things from the book of Revelation that is probably read in the church at Colossae, and uh, we'll read or we'll study the end of Colossians next week where it talks a lot about. Uh, some of the relationships that they had in common, Paul and the Colossian believers. So I think we'll finish with that for tonight. Uh, Revelation would be super fun to read on your own. Uh, It'll probably bring up lots of questions, but that's good too. And uh, there's some application for you to read through on your own at the end of your notes. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.